Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Grab out your note sheet and let's jump right into today's sermon. It's good to be back. I'm going to be gone again, so you get Jose next week too. Thank you, Jose. Killed it last week. We had great discussion and connection group. Great, like lots of notes. So thank you, Jose, for, uh, for preaching and for doing it again next week. Uh, we're in a great season right now, going through the book of Acts. Um, before we get into that, I just want to highlight a few things. Mexico trip, it got canceled just due to some kind of regulations down there. Nobody tested positive, but they wanted to, they have, I don't know, just local things they have to follow through protocol. So we weren't able to go. So we're, we're looking for December now. We'll be uh, figuring out what they need as far as gifts, things like that. Just loving on those kids during Christmas time, making sure they have a great time. So uh, if you did sign up, we'll have to do signups again. So just to make sure everybody can make it. So you will have to sign up again if you want to go down there. Uh, this November is uh, where we're going to be doing the homeless outreach. Remember, every other month we switch off. That continued outreach, loving, getting out of our shell, and then just being with people, seeing what God does. So we partner with SWAG, which is a local organization. And uh, they help in a really safe, cool environment in Lake Elsinore, uh, love on and feed uh, the homeless. And so uh, we're a part of that. So if you want to sign up for that, I'm not sure if Laura Lee is in here. She's something she's running around. But check our website, check our app, our church app also uh, for that. Um, hey, October 31st, a few weeks away, right? Two or three weeks away? Uh, yeah. The rest of people don't like, they don't like Halloween. They're like, I'm not clapping for Halloween. No, yeah. But we're doing a fall festival or a fall fun fest. So here's the dealio. Hopefully you already have your costumes because yes, our whole family has costumes and it's gonna be, and I'm gonna preach in character. So I'm not gonna tell you what, but it's from Harry Potter. So good, no, I'm not, I'm not gonna do that. That'd be weird, but uh, we all dress up. Nobody's too old, all right? So nobody be like, it's not, no. If you don't dress up, you'll be the lame one. And our, our theme for our church is don't be lame. That's like our purpose statement. Don't be lame, all right? We're going to have all kinds of fun, though. We're going to have uh, fun for the kids, games. We're going to have pictures so you can take uh, pictures with your friends and your family. It's just going to be a fun day. We're going to celebrate church together. And so that's on the 31st few weeks, so just a heads up. And so you don't need to sign up for anything or anything like that, but just want to let you know, get your outfit ready to go, get ready to have some fun. We might have some live music, too. We're working on that with different musicians in our church. And so maybe some freestyle rap going on with some good old rock and roll and all that kind of stuff. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, and then I think that's it for now. So I know there's a Young Life banquet coming up. Uh, I don't have the info. November 7th. Where? Montelio? I, I can't hear what you guys are saying. So, yeah. Oh, really? It's just, okay, right near here. Awesome. So we're going to put that up on the website. Young Life is a key part of our church. As far as that's where, if you have a middle school or high school student, that's where we encourage you to participate on uh, Mondays. I think Monday nights uh, are the main nights right now. And so um, we want to support them. And also a lot of the leaders uh, go to our church here. And so they live off support as far as finances and things like that. And then just doing ministry. So I'll, I'll put that up on the website soon. Young Life Banquet, November 7th. Uh, be great for a lot of us to go out there and support them. Let's all talk to God together right now. Jesus, we come to you uh, united as a church. And God, all of us come here in different places. Some of us are excited. Some of us are excited. And probably some of us, we got dragged here. Some of us feel like we're so close and in love with you. And some of us, we feel like we don't even know who you are. We feel very far from you. I pray you unite us. All of us are in the same boat. 
every single person here falls short of being perfect, of always being loving, of always being kind, of always, every single one of us is in the same boat. We all share at least one thing. We tend to mess things up in life. And you are amazing at refurbishing us, restoring us gently, kindly, that you have a plan for us. So I pray we wouldn't miss that. However young we are, however old, however close we are, however far away, God, may we all have the same faith and hope that you knitted us in our mother's womb. You care about us. We're not just some random animals from evolution. We're not just living here to make a dollar and die and never be remembered again. That there's someone who loves us who created us, has a purpose for us, and that you plan on reconciling yourself to us, not just here, but forever in heaven. May we have that mind and heart today as we hear from you, Jesus. In your name, amen. amen. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Acts chapter 5. Uh, you can uh, open it up on your phone, uh, download a Bible app, or if you bring it with you, this thing called a book, you can open that up. And so uh, every Sunday, we want to see what God thinks, because that's what matters ultimately in our lives. And uh, we've been in the book of Acts because the church is on this mission. And actually the book of Acts is, a lot of times we think it's the actions of the early church and Christians. No, it's actually the actions of the Holy Spirit. You see, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you read that, you're reading about the biography of Jesus. Acts is now the biography of the Holy Spirit. We're, we're learning how does the Spirit really move? How do we know who the Holy Spirit is? Because he's not a force, he's a person just as real as Jesus. That's what the Bible tells us. So now we're learning about that so that we could be a church that we are filled with the Spirit, following the Spirit, because that's who's leading us now. And so we're learning about that and the mission and how the Holy Spirit moves the church. But we're going to learn something important about movement. The thesis today, I kind of want to start off with a, a sentence and then we'll kind of go from there. So Here's what today's about. Character and integrity don't limit God, but only limits us and our enjoyment, experience, and longevity with God and his blessings. I'm going to say that again. Because we tend to think if I'm, if I'm rebellious, if I'm in sin, if I'm just doing that, then God can't use me. And God's like, I don't know if you've read the Old Testament, but I actually spoke to a, a donkey. There's another name for a donkey. I just won't use it because we have some kids that are young, right? So appropriate language. But you get what I'm saying. He spoke through a donkey. So if God can speak through a donkey, he can probably speak through you. <laughs> you see, and we're going to talk about kind of sin and rebellion as far as how important that is for the mission to accomplish the mission of God. But we're going to put it in perspective today because it's part of a healthy church to look at that. So the health of a church helps with the longevity of a church and really experiencing God on being on mission with him. So let me say the sentence again. Character and integrity, they're, they're important, but they don't limit God. It only limits us. And it limits us in our enjoyment of God, our experience of God, and our longevity with God and his blessings. This is why God hates sin. This is why he hates rebellion. Some of us are like, he hates me. No, he hates what sin does to you because it separates you from the relationship and also a longevity of experiencing and him using you. And so Acts chapter five shows this. This is one of the weirdest chapters uh, that um, you're ever gonna read. But I wanna put it in context because some of us, we're gonna be scared of this passage. Um, 
But before we jump into this, I want us to meet someone because to me, she's a good example. I read about her this week and I don't know her personally, but she seems amazing. And it's, it's interesting to hear her story. I think she sets the context of what we're trying to shoot for. Her name's Viola Brown. And we didn't get the best picture we tried, but uh, she is 110 years old. Yes, let's give her a hand, yeah. Viola, if you're listening, I don't know, but she lives on the East Coast, probably not. 110, like super rare, there's only a handful, you know, so this just happened. 110 years old, but I got to read about her and um, she had a great accomplishment if you wanna go to the next slide there. Um, this is um, a man who is, uh, works for the county and October 4th is Viola Brown Day in Clark County now. They recognized her. Isn't that cool? They recognized her and gave her, and so they, she has her own day. Uh, and this is her, some of her family. Go ahead and go to the next one. This is some of her family. You can leave that up. Um, and uh, she's had two husbands beat them both. One was an elder and one was a pastor, and she's still going, and they're with Jesus. So, I don't, you know, she's doing something right. So she outlasted two hubbies. Um, her kids and grandkids, almost all of them are following Jesus. Um, she overcame, think about her life, she's overcame hardcore segregation. She lived in the South, Southeast. Hardcore. Whatever we think is hardcore today, hardcore. While following Jesus. She's been through world wars. She's been through COVID. By the way, never got the COVID shot. She's like, I'm trusting Jesus. So don't recommend that to everybody, but uh, pretty amazing. But she's been through COVID now. She was 24 years the church treasure serving God faithfully behind the scenes, making sure money was accounted for, was correct so that the church could be generous. Served faithfully uh, through her years until she couldn't drive. She would drive through the neighborhood in, in Virginia, in Clark County, and she would knock on doors asking to pick up kids for children's ministry, put them in her car, and would do that before church. Did that for over 20 years until she couldn't drive anymore. This is what her nephew says, my personal experience has been nothing but love and joy whenever I'm in her presence. Can you imagine if someone said that about you? When I, I'm just in your presence, I just, I feel, you don't even have to say a Bible verse, just being around you, I just feel energized. There's never been one minute that Jesus doesn't drip off her lips. It's as if she embodies him. And all, every family member said the same thing. Everything she talks about and does gives honor and praise to God. I mean everything. <laughs> he says she's a literal believer. <laughs> like there's a figurative one and there's a literal one. He says, I think one of the things in terms of her longevity, longevity, everyone can be like, I was on fire for God when I was a sophomore in high school. I was on fire for God when I messed up my marriage and then I got on fire for a year until the marriage got fixed and then I went back. Everyone has one year. The Holy Spirit, when he moves, does it over the long haul. You see, God's not a sprinter. He's a marathon runner. That's what he cares about. What's the key to her longevity? Um, is he goes on to say that um, her faith. She practiced her faith. She didn't let a lot of things bother her. Can you imagine growing up during segregation and the type of racism in the South? which was more hardcore than probably any other part of the country, if any of us had been from there, right? And her faith, and she didn't let things bother her. I know Jesus, no matter what people say about my skin color, about my looks. I'm going to church. I'm picking up kids. No matter what people say, I don't, my kid's not going to church. No problem. Goes to the next door. Why? 
didn't let anything bother. She had faith. She wanted to embody Jesus. She has a great capacity either to tolerate stress or just kind of eliminate it for most uh, part of her life. She is very centered on something greater than herself. Her daughter, who's in the picture here also, oh, I don't know if it's still up. Yeah, her daughter, who was in the family picture. You don't have to put it up, Patrick, it's okay. Says, whatever her mother wants from God, she had witnessed her getting through prayer. She asks God for things, and it usually happens. She prays with some people who are sick, and they get better. One of the things I didn't add, she used to visit the hospital, too, um, to pray for people. Uh, her daughter shared, I had a daughter, so her granddaughter, that got messed up on drugs, and she got time in prison. She said that her mom said, God showed me she is coming out, but they gave her a life sentence of 30 years, and she told us, I saw the vision from God. My granddaughter's coming out. 11 years later, she was free from prison and is now following Jesus. That tightness, that character, that integrity, that a whole county wants to give you a plaque and a day. How does that happen? Acts chapter 5 gives us a little bit of explanation. Verse 1, there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife, Sapphira, sold some property. So remember, we read this in the chapters before, that the church, new people are coming to know Jesus like, like in droves, right? And they're just so filled with God that they want to be generous. They want to make sure that, that everybody's taken care of in the church. They want to make sure that everybody's loved. So they're selling property. Now that's a big deal. You got to remember, this comes from a culture where your property was your family lineage, this is also your social security. Like we sell, like if, if you were to be like, oh, Brian, I'm going to sell my car to give it to the church, give it to the poor. That's, I'll give you a little bit, but you don't get a standing ovation because what we would be doing today, it would be like you emptying your retirement account saying, give it to the poor. Now some of you are like, uh, please don't ask that during the service. Please don't, right? This, this was huge. This wasn't like, oh, yeah, I'm going to sell my car. This was like retirement, gone. Let's make sure everybody's fed, everybody's good. That's what it means to sell your property, okay? We, we understand the level here of what they're doing. So everybody's doing it, and Ananias and Sapphira are like, hey, that sounds cool. I mean, we're part of it. I don't know if you've ever had something in church. Hey, everybody's doing this, everybody's doing that. Yeah, let's do it. You know, that sounds good, you know? Make me feel good, be a part of the God thing. Let's do it, right? So it says that he brought, in verse 2, he brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount, with his wife's consent, he kept the rest. He was deceptive. He lied. He wanted to do a good thing. He told God, I'm going to do a good thing. He told others, I'm going to do a good thing. But he only wanted the appearance of good. He didn't really want to be good. Did you hear that? Where we struggle as people, we love the appearance of being good. <laughs> but it's really difficult to, when the lights are off, am I really going to follow through on everything God lays on my heart? Right? whether it's staying away from the bad or engaging in the good that God calls us to. Then Peter said to Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? That's a pretty harsh statement. You know, if anyone said that to you, you'd probably be like, whoa, easy, right? Why has Satan filled your heart? Well, it's an expression because Jesus, I don't know if you remember when he was around the apostles, he told the apostles that Satan is the father of what? Lies. Whenever we see lies in our society, in our government, at our work, or in our li lives, 
we know that the instigator in that is Satan. He wants us to lie to ourselves, he wants us to lie to each other, and he wants us to lie to God. Because anything built on a lie can't last. When you lie to yourself about yourself, it can't last. And then that's when relationships get broken because you've been lying to yourself. Or you lie to someone else. Do you have a problem with me? No, it's all good. But in your heart, you're like, yeah, I wish you would die. But you don't say it, right? Well, then that relationship has a false premise. It can't flourish because I've been lying. Or I lie to God, right? God, I'll do this for you. God, I'll do that for you. Lights are off, go home. Nah, I'm not really. I just wanted you to make my life better for a week. And we lie to him. And we kind of feel like we get away with it. And it's like, oh, maybe I can do that again and again and again. So he says this to him. And he says, you lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was actually yours to sell or not sell as you wish. So you didn't even have to, to say this thing. You didn't have to say this lie. You didn't have to give it, but you said it. And he says, how could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but God. Notice how in the early church, the greatest sin was not when someone hurt you. It was understanding that you hurt God. They cared more about God than what, how they were treated and how their relationship with God was than their relationship with each other. And it's like, hey, you didn't just lie to us. I was like, you lied to God and that's a big deal. As soon as Ananias in verse five heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Now, if you're reading the Bible and you're new to this, you're like, oh no, like this is not the kind of God I wanna follow, right? And then some of you are thinking like, if he died for that, I'm not getting, like, I'm not getting out of this building. Like, I've done a lot worse than be like, I'm going to give money and I don't, right? I'm going to put it in context, so just relax. You're okay. You're not going to die today, all right? At least I don't think you are, all right? I think you're good. It goes on to say that everyone who heard about it was terrified. No duh, right? Yes, good statement. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him, part of the Jewish custom. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Awkward. By the way, if you're in a marriage, make sure you talk to each other. You know what's going on. Peter asked her, uh, hey, was the price you and your husband received for the, the land, was this the price? And she said, yes, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Verse 11. I love when the Bible says the obvious. Great fear gripped the entire church. Unfortunately, there weren't a lot of other options for churches. So it's not like you go down like to the first Baptist church. You're like, crud, where do we go to church now? It's like people are dying. I'm, I'm sure church attendance the next following Sunday was a little low, right? People are like faking being sick and just like going on vacation. But great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened, that means outside the church. Can you imagine that's the church you go to? You're like, hey, you should come to our church. <laughs> I think I'll skip, you know? The apostles, then verse 12, the apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And the believers and all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known uh, as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one else dared join them, verse 13. No one 
else dare join them, even though all the people had them in high regard. Now verse 14 says, Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. It seems like a weird statement. You're like, wait a second. It says that um, they, no one else dared join them, but more people were believing. There's a little bit of time in the church where, yeah, people were a little bit scared about going to that church, but they were still believing in God. It's interesting because when we talk about the fear of God, we tend to think that's going to push people away. Not necessarily true. It's actually what can draw us to him. I'm going to explain that today. Now, when we read this passage, here's where some of us go wrong. We read that and we're like, whoa, what I'm going to get from this is if you mess up, God might kill you. Not at all, because you know what? We don't see this happen the rest of the book, the rest of the chapter. Here's what you got to remember when you read any type of a, a, a story in the Bible, like a biography. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts would be like story-driven, right? Narrative, um, biographical. Is that just because you see a description in life doesn't mean it's a prescription for life. Just like remember in chapter one when, when the Holy Spirit first ushered in, and remember tongues like fire, Right? And it doesn't mean every service then we have to make up tongues of fire and throw it on the screen and be like, we're not, we're not duplicating what happened back then. Sometimes the way God moves is just a one-time thing to illustrate something. Just like in your life, just so you know, he'll do a miracle in your life. And some of us, we chase the miracle and not the miracle maker. You're looking for that experience again. And what happened 10 years ago? Leave it in the past. God has new experiences for you. Okay, so we're reading a description. It doesn't mean that's a prescription and we should find all the liars at Access Church, round them up and try the same thing. You know, we don't, no, no, no. But what was God doing? Why did he allow that? Well, first of all, we got to understand that with Ananias and Sapphira, that only God knows their heart, which is really, really important because we tend to judge off looks. Ooh, they look like a good Christian. They don't. They're probably going to hell. They're doing this, right? And that really happened back in the day. I remember what in the 80s when I was a kid, like now it's normal tattoos. You showed up to church, a tattoo, they would like stop the service. Like the worship team would just drop, right? You felt, if you had a tattoo back then, because my grandpa had one, I mean, just you felt unwelcome. They're like, oh. And so we tend to go off, but what does the Bible say? God looks at the, the heart, Right? We see here that you could be at church but not be a follower of Jesus. You could be a fan but not a follower. There was judgment on them in a way that I don't understand, but God thought that was the time to take their life. Now, some of us think, like, that's a mean God. Like, Brian, I don't, I don't know. I know he died on the cross and he loves me, but is he, like, bipolar? Like, what's going on here? Does he get, like, super mad? No, 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 not at all. Think about this, though, from God's perspective. If someone's going to live a lie... And some of us have been in churches where people live lives, lies. They're called hypocrites. That's why some of us didn't go to church for many years. Some of us saw pastors, incredible hypocrites. Let me ask you this. What's more gracious? Let that pastor stay in the church and manipulate, scheme, be a sexual predator, fudge the money a little bit and let him go or take his life? What's more gracious? I know some of you don't want to say the answer out loud, right? You see, when someone is rebellious towards God and they're going to damage other people or they're going to actually damage the church who, remember, Jesus says, this is my bride. How Jesus looks at every church is, that's my bride. I'm going to marry her. I'm going to be together with her. We're, we're going to be this tight. 
If anything hurts the bride, remember I shared a few weeks ago, you guys could say anything you want about me, you disrespect my wife, I'll probably go to jail, right? You see that? I won't. You make fun of me, I'm not going to jail. You incessantly start ripping on my wife, we have an issue because that's my wife. I love her. You got to understand this is how Jesus views the church. That's why I said, be careful about ripping on churches. Whether they deserve it or not, just be careful. That's his bride. Let him figure it out. <laughs> Let's worry about ourselves. Right? So I think Jesus looked at this sin saying, can you imagine if being a hypocrite and lying and having this appearance of being good as a church? And then other people saw like, well, they got away with it. I'll get away with it. Have you ever been there? Hey, they just lied. They got God's blessing them. And God's like, That's, I can't have that in my church. For some reason, God said, I'm the most gracious thing to do. They're, they don't get it. I've got to. And he took their lives. I don't fully understand. We don't fully understand God. But we need to paint a picture there. He's not randomly like, just shooting people down. And, you know, we have a church service. And you, oops, you say a lie. And God's going to you know, kill you before you take communion. No. It's not the wild wild. I think God doesn't function that way. But here's the thing what God understands is they're in the middle of a movement. In order to have longevity in the movement, that church has to be healthy. Unhealthy churches will have periods of growth and movement, but they don't last because you can't sustain a movement of church on unhealthy people. So we're gonna, well, what does a healthy church look like? What's that characteristic? Well, let's go, go through that. A um, couple things I just want to bring out and bring to your attention that maybe as a church, what we could learn is, hey, as we're reaching people for Jesus, let's not forget that who we are matters just as much as what we say. Who we are matters more because then what you say actually gives strength to your words. So if we're a church that the world looks at us or your friends look at you and you stress the same way they do, you joke the same way they do, you do dating and marriage the same way that they do, everything, you do conflict the same way they do. If you do it the same, then your words, don't make, well, Jesus can save you. Well, like you, like we're both, like <laughs> what is he saving me from? We're the same people. What gives strength to my words in this movement that the Holy Spirit wants to do? And he wants to use your words. He wants to encourage you and give you courage to ask tough questions, to, to say something, to engage with people. But for, he says, hey, slow down, church. Make sure there's character integrity. Doesn't mean perfection. We're going to talk about that. Character integrity doesn't mean perfection. It just means that, well, what does integrity mean? It means one, one unit. You're not fractured. You're not a fraction. Be one whole number. Don't be a fraction. Don't act one way here. Don't act super holy at work, but then people see how you are online. Or you go home and your kids see you're totally different. That's really important for us because if God's going to use our church, I'm cool with that. I'm down with that. God's going to bring people here. I'm down with that. We're going to reach. I'm down with that. I just want to make sure we don't get so excited about the movement that we forget about. We better have the character or this won't last. God will shut us down. So what can we learn from this story? A couple things. First one is this, if you're right, taking notes. Is a healthy church, two things I just want to look at. There's a lot of like, list of 15 things. Two things I just want to take from this passage of why I think God put the brakes on what was happening here and took their lives. What he wanted the church to learn as they're moving and reaching people. The first one is a healthy church is willing to call out and deal with sin. A healthy church is actually willing to call out and deal with sin. Another word for sin, I know it's a religious word, like sinner, like some of us, you know, it just means rebellion towards God. 
Do we deal with and call out and we honest with rebellion towards God or do we sweep it under the rug or we allow it to happen because I don't like confrontation and, and we kind of walk on and we become a church where we walk on eggshells? Or is we, are we a church that nobody's going to call me out? The Bible's not going to call me out. You're not going to call me out, Brian, because we're overly sensitive. Maybe we, we just feel like we'll, we'll feel ashamed. Maybe we feel like we'll feel second class if we actually confess a sin or someone says like, hey, I don't know if that lines up with what the Lord wants. I don't know if you ever heard this. Well, who are you to judge? You know what's funny? Well, the Bible actually says that I am to judge. <laughs> Where does that say, Brian? We'll bring it up in a second. Isn't it amazing when we jump into the Bible or what God really thinks and says rather than what we think God says? But we have to be willing to do that. How do, how do we get there? Well, I think one is that we see sin not as a personal shame, but as a personal detriment. That if I hide it and don't want people to see it and don't want to confess it and don't want to turn from it, that all you're doing is hurting yourself. You think you're helping yourself because I don't want to feel bad, but you're actually hurting yourself because that very rebellion is what's keeping you from a closeness with God. And what the Bible would say in 1 John 4 is that we're actually constantly confessing and repenting sin. It's part of a, a mature, healthy Christian. is not one where it's like, you know, hey, have you repented of anything lately? No, nah, not for like 20 years. I've been kind of just like perfect for the last 20 years. Part of healthy relationships is that we're constantly confessing things. Yeah, I was greedy these last three months. God asked me while I was praying and talking to tithe more, and I just flat out said, no, I don't want to tithe more. Yeah, I'm just not going to forgive my aunt. She said that about my mom. I will never forgive her. But I'll come here and worship God and thank God for his forgiveness and take communion. But I hope she goes to hell. Right? But we can still look like a super Christian and say those things and think, and God's like, no, 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 I want to work that out. All right, will you learn to forgive people that are your enemies? Will you learn to be generous, right? There's always, he's working on attitude things. He's always doing something. So part of a healthy church is we're constantly learning to confess, repent, and let me encourage you with this. It's better to confess than to be confronted. It's always better. That's where someone, I think it was your group that said the humility piece, or maybe it was this group that said, what's, what's important in a church? Humility. What's pride? I don't have any problems. Don't call me out. And it can keep us from being a healthy church and it can keep us from moving forward. This is what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth when he's encouraging them how to handle this type of a thing. Check this out. This is in 1 Corinthians 5. I encourage you to read this whole chapter. This is fascinating. Because I think many of us as churches, if I'm honest, we don't function this way. And maybe we have some like rethinking to do. Chapter 5 Verse 1 and 2, this is what Paul says. I can hardly believe the report about sexual immorality going on among you. Something that even the pagans don't do, you're doing in your church. And pagans just means people who are not following Jesus. They don't even do this. You're practicing it in the church. He says, I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. They're in a sexual relationship. I know some of you think that some churches around here are bad or we're bad. You know, it's like, uh, I always think it's funny too when people are like, we need to get back to the New Testament church. And I'm like, have you read about those people? They're pretty wild. I don't think we want to go back there, right? He says, you are so proud of yourselves. What do you mean proud of yourselves? The, the Corinthian church thought themselves as a great church. They're reaching people for Jesus. They were growing. 
Their theology, woo! If you had a theological conversation about end times, about eschatology and all this kind of stuff, they would just be, they're problem selves. Our services rock. Have you seen our lighting? Pew, pew, like right, it goes in the beat with the drums. Our worship team, perfection, right? Pastor kills it. Funny, laugh, cry, oh, I learned. They would say we slay it. And he says, but you have someone that you're okay with sleeping with their mother-in-law because we don't want to hurt his feelings. And we're about being open and not judgmental. Is that a healthy church? Let's go on to see what Paul says. He says, you are proud of yourselves, but he says, you should be mourning in sorrow and shame. You should remove this man from your fellowship. Verse 9, jump down. He says, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. So Paul was informing his church, hey, don't hang around people that are just sexually promiscuous. And they're like, okay, sounds good. But he says, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers. <laughs> they stopped hanging around people who weren't Christians because like, oh, you guys are immoral. But they were hanging around each other who were immoral. He's like, you got that backwards. <laughs> they don't know Jesus. Let's bring them to Jesus before we try to clean them up. So no, you have to engage. You have to be at the parties. You have to be at the after work things. You have to, to engage, to show I'm a Christian. So he says, I wasn't talking about unbelievers or the greedy or, or people who cheat or worship idols. You'd have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer. They claim, I'm a Christian. So they claim that. I follow Jesus. But yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. It says don't even associate with people like that. If you're looking for an awkward moment in church, here's your moment. Welcome. That's hardcore. We do the opposite. We condemn and judge the world and then we'll be in connection group and we'll see things that shouldn't happen. We'll see people be mean to each other. We'll see someone make a promise to God one week, break that promise the next week, and we're like, hey, I don't want to see it. They might not like it. And God's like, but are you a healthy church? Well, yeah, we got lights. We meet on Sundays. You know, we got a pastor. We got this. You see how God looks at health different than we do? We look on the outside. God looks on the inside. Now, the goal with not hanging out with someone like this, just so you know, Paul says later that the goal is that you, in a sense, hand them over to Satan. Not literally like Satan take them. But he says what you do is you disassociate in hopes that they actually understand the gravity of their sin. You do it in hopes that they repent. You're not judging them as far as like, I'm never hanging out with you again. And now I hope you, you know, go to hell. You know, you're a horrible Christian. We don't do that. What we say is, hey, I, I can't hang around. You're claiming to be a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Bro, I can't keep doing stuff like this. This is hard. I remember in college, we were leaders in the youth group. We were roommates living in Encinitas, surfing, having a blast. Both of us working through our issues as guys and dysfunctional family. And we, and we were uh, just in a great church and all this stuff. And then he starts dating. And I'm like, hey, bro, you didn't come home last night. Oh, you know, just we're working through some stuff. Is she a Christian? Well, she said she might want to go to church. I'm like, all right, bro, just be careful, man. Be careful. Keep doing ministry. Keep doing ministry together. Pretty soon I'm like, bro, now you're not coming home at all. And I read the Bible, and what do I do as a 20-year-old man? This is one of my best friends. I've got issues too. He could call me out, like, Brian, you do this or you do that. I understand. 
But at least I'm trying to be honest with him. Being like, you're right. Boom, let me turn from him. Let me do what I can. But he's saying he's a Christian. But he, here's the key thing. This is the difference between rebellion and struggle. You see, when we struggle as Christians, we, we call sin a sin in our lives. And then we put effort and intentionality into changing that. When I'm in rebellion, I, what I do is I call sin. I say it's not sin anymore. So it's, it's not wrong to be sexually active. I'm just going to cut that out of the Bible. It's not wrong to be mean or abusive. It's not wrong to hide things and be deceptive. What we do is that's what rebellion is, is what God calls wrong, we call right. And what God calls right, we call wrong. I don't need to go to church anymore. I can follow God on my own. No, actually, the Bible says you can't. God would be like, that's not my opinion. You need to be a part of believers. No, I just don't believe that anymore. Christians have hurt me. I'm gonna just, it's just me and Jesus. That's fine, but that's untrue. That's what rebellion is. Rebellion changes what God says rather than someone who's struggling allows what God says to change them. There's a difference. Second Corinthians, Paul says this, defining what repentance and being a church that changes ourselves so that we're healthy. Paul says, I am not sorry, in verse 8, chapter 7, he says, I am not sorry that I sent a severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first because I know it was painful for a little while. Just so you know, whenever God changes you, it's painful. When he makes you more generous rather than greedy, when he makes you more patient rather than being anxious, some of us have been living off anxiety our whole lives, and God's like, I'd like to change that. I'd like to give you peace. Some of us are down about everything. Oh, politics, everybody talks to us. And God's like, I'd like to actually bring joy. I'd like people to look at Christians as joyful, not political. He wants to change some things in us. How does he do that? It's painful. But he says, listen, he says, but I'm glad that I sent this letter to you, not to hurt you, even, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed by any of us through this. For the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, oh, I shouldn't do it, I know. Oh, I know I shouldn't do it. Oh, I know I shouldn't have said that to you, honey but you keep hurting them. You keep doing it. The Bible says that that type of sorrow but lacks no repentance results in spiritual death. It results in spiritual death. When I lack repentance, I lack salvation. God's salvation leads me now to a lifestyle repentance. Allowing, and that's what makes us a healthy church. In my experience as a pastor, when I talk to people who don't go to church, Almost all of them don't mind the gospel. They love the gospel. Jesus died and rose again for me, created me in my mother's womb, has a plan for me. They love that part. Why don't they go to church? Because of the character and lack of integrity in a church, of a pastor or a person that can be, actually be meaner than outside the church walls. But people that love their church, it's when they come there, and it's not that we don't have any problems, but we resolve it with love. We resolve it with honesty. There's humility there. I might say something, I might mess up, but there's, there's, there's grace for the pastor, there's great, but we walk in grace, but looking to change, not looking to cover it up. You see, grace is changing you, not covering it and sweeping it under the rug. That's when we experience God's grace. 
That's why Ananias is fiery. He's like, uh-uh, this is unhealthy, and God is showing us what a healthy church looks like. They deal with things, even if it's painful. And here's the thing. I'm sure for Peter, he had a few bad weeks where it's like, I can't believe what I just saw. There was no joy in this. But there's also a sense probably in his own heart of like, I better stay close to Jesus. Because here's the thing. Any one of us in this room could be Ananias and Sapphira. Well, we put up a good front, but there's nothing going on in our hearts. Point number two is this. A healthy church has an appropriate fear of God. A healthy church has an appropriate fear of God. Do you guys understand that there's unhealthy fear and healthy fear? Have you guys experienced that? Healthy fear and unhealthy fear? Unhealthy fear is based off something that's not a reality. Have you ever driven with someone that drives 15 miles an hour because they're scared that everyone's going to hit them and that they just get it right? It's based on this unhealthy reality of like everything's going to, you know, it's like, come on, come on, get going, get going. But I have this unhealthy fear. It's like, I'm going to get an accident. I'm going to get an accident. It's like, right? But you should, while you drive, have a healthy fear of making sure that, yes, there is a potential that two large vehicles could collide. Like, so you need to have a healthy fear and be aware, right? There's people who drive with healthy fear and unhealthy fear. Those that drive with no fear, not good. Unhealthy fear and no fear, both are bad. There's a sense of having a healthy fear. And that's when you read about the Bible, that we should, that a healthy church has a healthy fear. And as people come to know Jesus, they should have a healthy fear. It's okay to fear God. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is actually the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Why do I not, why do I not listen to God? Because I don't fear him. I have no fear of him. So I might pick and choose some things. I'm like, I don't care. My life's going to be good anyway. Proverbs 22.4 says this, The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. The key to success for all of us in our walk with God is actually having a healthy fear of God. That what he says carries great blessings, but also carries great consequences. His word matters. So when he warns you, it's a real warning. When he blesses you, it's a real blessing. And the church actually exploded when they had a healthy fear of him rather than either no fear or an unhealthy fear of God. I remember um, the importance of this as far as uh, Mount Whitney. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Mount Whitney. It's the tallest peak in the continental U.S., and we have it here in Southern California, 14,000 500 feet. I don't know if you know that. And you can hike it. But a lot of people just think like, oh, we got a mountain in our backyard. And they just kind of go up it. Not, but it's dangerous. Um, you could see no clouds on the map and that afternoon have snow. So when we planned it, we actually brought extra food. We brought a Bunsen burner. We brought um, sleeping bags, lightweight sleeping bags. And we were planning on doing a one-day trip. But we're like, let's just have a little day pack. Let's have everything ready, right? I'd hiked it before, no problems. We looked at the map. Again, when you're fearful, like, I fear the mountain, but not unhealthy where I'd never climb the mountain, right? Unhealthy fear means I can never go on the mountain. No, it's unhealthy. It's meant to be enjoyed. There's a spectacular view. There's a, it's, 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 a, 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 it's exhilarating. So you see, when we have an unhealthy fear of God, we don't engage God because we think, oh no, if I do anything wrong, he's going to just smash me like Ananias and Spira. Unhealthy. But get to know him. You'll still have a healthy fear because he's powerful. 
Well, I'm glad I did because the day we went up, no clouds, we go up, we're at 12,000 feet, snowstorm comes over, there's about 15 of us, we can't get down fast enough. We set up tent, the Bunsen burner literally saved our lives. We put uh, two, uh, a friend of mine, Jim Hinderleiter, we put the Bunsen burner between us, we did the whole zip up the bags, two grown men, stripped down to the undies because of the heat. Like you have, it's, it's awkward, but like, it's okay, dude. I need to save my life. You need to save your life. It's going to be awkward. We'll just never talk to each other again after this trip. Like you go your separate way. Like no eye contact. It's amazing what you'll do to save your life though, right? You'll strip down, zip sleeping bags, put a Bunsen burner there. It snowed about five, four, five, six inches. We woke up as all white, but everybody looked out and we were looking at each other like, oh, we made it. <laughs> like We made it. Like it was cold. We heard people vomiting outside their tent from altitudes and all that kind of stuff. But here's the thing. If you don't fear that mountain, someone that shows up, they die. The mountain is meant to be enjoyed. It's an exhilarating experience, but it's powerful. God's power does not want to drive you away, but what he wants you to know is what I say is what I mean. And when I say there's consequences in the world, I mean it. And when I say that rebellion, I hate it because it kills you. I mean, it. it kills your relationships, kills your heart, it kills your mind. But here's the thing, it kills the church. When does the church thrive? When we're honest about our sins, with myself, with each other. When we repent and we change, we become like Christ, like Viola, that we emanate Jesus, not ourselves. And we don't have to be afraid of that. Let God change you. Let him change you. That's a healthy church. Worship team is going to come up now, and I just want to encourage you with Hebrews 12, 28 says this, since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, a kingdom that is amazing, a kingdom of love, a kingdom of relationship with God, and we're receiving it now and also in eternity, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. Hebrews 12, 28, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. I encourage you just to worship God. We have communion here. If you want to take communion and thank God for his love, but let that love change you, I encourage you, you can take it by yourself. Maybe you want to take a family and friends and pray together, uh, but you can just honor God by remembering him through communion. Also, we have people that would love to pray for you. And so they have a, a placard on the back. And so if you don't even know what to pray for, they'll just go back there. Just tell them your name. They'll just pray for you and let the Holy Spirit speak through them. So it's a time of prayer and worship. So Jesus, we come before you now. And God, I pray as a church that we wouldn't be healthy in like the American sense of healthy church. We would be healthy in a sense that you look at and saying, yes, I see your heart. I see your soul. You're a healthy church. You fear me. You don't play games with me. And you're honest about your stuff. You're not trying to appear to be a good Christian. You're trying to truly live it out. God, I pray that if anyone comes here and they're disconnected today, that they would see you in our church through our music, but most of all through your word, Lord. Because you desire to walk with us, to live in us, and to work through us. And that's the thing that could bring us the greatest joy this week. So maybe we fear you, God, but not in an unhealthy way, but in a way that draws us to you and your love and your power. We worship you in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information or to get in contact with our pastoral staff, please go to go to accesschurch.com.